People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. We are back for the second half of game week 26 and it's time for another dose of expert analysis to help with your Premier League betting. Here to help with that, as always, is Jake Osgathorpe from InfoGoal. How's it going, Jake? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Ben. Just looking forward to getting this really strange winter break out of the way. Yeah, it's been a bit of a weird one. I mean, just the three games for us at the weekend, but three good games from an InfoGoal perspective, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. Plenty of value winners. Um, both teams to score over two and a half and, and an Everton win in the, in the Everton Palace game. Both teams to score in the Brighton-Watford game um, and both teams to score over two and a half and in the Sheffield United versus Bournemouth game. So in terms of value hunting, it was a pretty good weekend for it, yeah. Well, there we go. We'll be we're hoping for, for more of the same this week and we can get straight on to our first fixture. We've got Wolves versus Leicester, two teams that many people had down as potential contenders to break into that big six. They both had a decent season up until now and it is Leicester who are the ones that sit in the top four. But looking at expected goals, you'd have to say that Wolves have probably actually been the better of the two teams. It's the the Wolves' defence has been very consistent, and it's it's more the attacking side of the game that's that's cost them a few times this season. The last game against Manchester United probably been a, a good example for where the the issues have been with them. It was a nil nil scoreline, but they created more than enough to get a goal, and and ultimately it cost them two points. As for Leicester, they're they're a team that have overperformed both in defence and attack, and as the, the the turn of the year has come, they've got results that are more in line with the performances that we've seen from them. They've dropped away a little bit from from Liverpool and Manchester City. Long gone is that talk of a, a title challenge, but holding on to that top four spot certainly looks doable. In terms of the odds, we've got a, a close one to call. Wolves have got the edge according to the market. 2.60, which is 37% chance of a win, and Leicester on 33% chance, which equates to odds to 2.94. Personally speaking, I probably would have expected Wolves to be a little bit shorter, especially with home field advantage. But but what does Infogol think of the odds? Yeah, we agree. We think Wolves should be should be shorter to uh, three points in this game. Um, obviously, the home field advantage plays into it, but we also think that Wolves are, are the better when it comes to um, underlying process. So, yeah, we, we make Wolves 45% chance uh, or 45% favourites to win in this one compared to 38% on the market. Yeah, Leicester, like you said, the, the results of... of died off a little bit and um, I think you remember halfway through the season I did rubbish their title chances so thankfully that hasn't come to fruition but um, yeah this is going to be a really interesting game between two teams that we speak about at the start of the season potentially breaking in the top six and challenging and it, it looks like two, both of them could do uh, do just that. All Wolves need to do is, is start finding a bit more consistency with the results because performances have been really impressive. You know they've against Manchester United they created plenty of good chances to um, to get the win in that one and you know, they've won the XG battle in in quite a lot of the games this season um, and six of the last six they have won the expected goals battle but they've only won once in that time so they've been really unfortunate have Wolves and, and you know the performances have stacked up and it means that they actually sit fourth in our expected goals table despite sitting down in ninth in the Premier League table so there's a lot to like about what Wolves have to offer the underlying numbers are really really impressive 1.74 expected goals for and 1.31 against putting them right in that bracket of, of top six 
contention in terms of uh, underlying numbers. Um, you know, and, and like you said, they're, they're been really strong defensively but in attack they've been really inconsistent and the numbers sort of back that up they've scored 35 times from chances equating to 43.5 expected goals so um you know the, there is a lot left to be desired there and it's a bit of a surprise given the quality that they do have in their um in their squad um at home the performances have been as impressive really uh, the, the points tally is not reflective of, of the underlying numbers um pretty much identical expected goal numbers to uh, at home as they have overall really 1.75 1.44 so we usually see chances at both ends and we usually see um wolves coming out on top but like you said Leicester are, they're no most they're one of the league's best teams and I know they've had a little bit of a wobble recently but um you know their, their underlying performance against Chelsea that I thought was really impressive they were very fortunate not to come away from that game with the three points they nearly doubled Chelsea's expected goals tally but Somehow managed, uh, somehow were held to a two-two draw. Obviously, the big miss towards the end was um, was Harvey Barnes. It was a great chance to make that one three-two, but they have stuttered recently. They've, there's been signs that they've been um, that that they are beatable. Obviously, Southampton did a real number on them a couple of weeks ago, um, and and then Burnley managed to beat them at Turf Moor as well. So, um, yeah, they're probably just starting to look over the shoulder a, a, a tiny bit. Obviously, the, the win from Sheffield United the weekend put them within ten points of Leicester. Um, they're still 12 points clear of Tottenham as, as things stand but yeah it could it could end up being a, a nervy finish to the season for Leicester if they don't continue um, picking up wins um, or draws the good thing for them though is their away form is, is actually really impressive um, 12 games they've played uh, away from home picked up 22 points the underlying process on the road is 2.43 expected goals for 1.4 against and you know, a lot of that is down to the fact that they've had some really big wins on the road. Obviously, the one that springs to mind is the 9-0 success at Southampton. Uh, but on the whole, they're a very dangerous attacking team when they're, when playing away from home. And um, Obviously, they, it suits them the way that the, the style they like to play, the counter-attacking um, capabilities of the likes of Vardy, Barnes, uh, Madison, who can um, thread the needle with a pass. So, yeah, we're expecting a really interesting game here. It, it is an intriguing one because obviously these two met at the very first game of the season um, and it ended up goalless at, at the King Power. The two teams pretty much cancelled each other out and it wouldn't be a huge surprise to see something similar here. But given what's at stake and given the underlying numbers that were seen from both teams in terms of um, chance creation and, and also being vulnerable at the back, we actually think this could be a, a quite a goal-laden game. We've, we're making a 62% chance of both teams to score um, that's 56% on the market and a 61% chance of overdoing a half and that's 50% on the market. And, you know, Wolves, barring the Manchester United nil-nil draw, have actually been uh, really good for goals this season. Um, and, and we think they'll revert back to that. Uh, Leicester too have also been very entertaining when it's come to um, to goals and they've seen over two and a half goals in the last five matches in the Premier League. So um, there's value in both both teams to score and over two and a half. But like I said at the start, the um, the main value really is, is to get on with Wolves. We think they're a little bit... Uh, too long. We make them uh, a lot shorter to get the three points here, and and you know they really do need it if they, if they have got the aspirations to finish in that top six. As the you know that one win in the last six is, means that they are now down in nine. So yeah, chanting wolves. Forty five percent is what we're calculating. Around thirty eight on the market. I think anyone that's thinking of betting on wolves would probably be quick to cite that that record last year against the elite teams or the top six, whatever we want to call them. They're not necessarily the the top six anymore. I guess the question would be is, is there anything from looking at Wolves that 
explains why they seem to do well against the elite teams. Because, I mean, we've seen more of it again this season. And I guess the second question then is, do we class Leicester as that level of team just because they're in third at the moment? Or is it the style of play or how teams dominate games? Um, well, I'd say that the word, the thing that, or the term you were looking for is big six. I think they're referred to as the big six. And obviously Leicester don't fit into that big six. But in terms of top six, I think they've, Fully deserve to be mentioned in that breadth. Yeah, their um, you know their their performances have been excellent this season. Their underlying process has been fantastic. Um, they've also picked up quite a few scalps, and you know they sit fifth in our expected goals table, third in the actual table. So they're not actually they're not hugely overperforming in what is uh, a really tight tight race um, according to expected goals for that top four. Um, as for Wolves, they're I think they're just really well set up to play with the big teams. That the counter attack ability that they have. Um, is obviously sensational with the likes of Jimenez, who holds the ball up really well and brings others into play, and Adama Traore, who's got um, raw pace and power. Uh, Jota, who's very tricky. Um, they, they've got good players that are set up to spring very quickly. Uh, they're very solid at the back. They create overloads. Um, and I think the midfield, too, are really underrated, really. Ruben Neves and Jao Moutinho, I thought both of them had fantastic games at Old Trafford last time out. Um, and they, they just, they're just so cultured. They're very comfortable on the football and, and they can progress the team up the pitch very quickly. I think that's that all adds up to a very dangerous opponent for for a team um, like Leicester, like Manchester City's, Chelsea's, etc., that do like to play on the front foot and try and uh, create chances of their own. And, and that means that Wolves will will be able to hit you where it hurts and um, and expose some defensive vulnerabilities. So yeah, it, this is a really interesting game. And if if Wolves' record is anything to go by, then this should be a um, you know, an, another game to get on, on side with Wolves. Right, so on to our next game is Southampton versus Burnley and Southampton's march up the table was very quickly halted by Liverpool. They were com- comprehensively beaten 4-0. No disgrace really in losing to Liverpool, especially this season, but I think Ralph Horsenhartel was probably expecting his side to put up a bit more of a fight, especially after how good they've been over what is now probably stretching over two months or so. Um Burnley, meanwhile, they've recovered well since a, a, a pretty big dip in form that stretched back a good 12 games. They were heading towards a relegation battle a few games ago, but they're, they're clear of any danger now. It was another impressive performance for them in their last game. They drew nil-nil with, with Arsenal, but they did more than enough to win the game in that one. Um, Southampton are actually below Burnley in the table, but they've, they've been the better team over the course of the season, according to the data. The odds suggest that the side, the home side, are a 1.746 or 56% chance of winning. Does InfoGold agree with those numbers? Um, no, we don't. We actually think Southampton are a little bit too short for this one. Um, we're giving them just a 47% chance of winning compared to 56 on the market. So we're, we're making them odds against. I think that's partly because we do rate Burnley quite highly. Um, obviously, like you said, Southampton have been really impressive all season long. They've impressed InfoGold all season long. Um, they sit eighth in our expected goals table, so probably unfortunate to be in the in the bottom half based on performances. Um, but like you said, they took a real spanking by Liverpool last last time out, and the, the narrative around the game was that Southampton were unlucky. But you know, you look at the chances created and the quality of the chances created, and um, I don't know if you can be lucky just creating 0.81 expected goals and conceding nearly four. So. Um, you know, Liverpool were fantastic in that game and Southampton were second best. They did, they, they had the moments, uh, the high press caused a few um, awkward moments for Liverpool, but yeah, no qualms about that defeat. 
um, for Southampton. They're comfortably outplayed. But like you said, they've climbed the table very well. The results recently have been really impressive. Performances have been great. Um, yeah, the, the big question mark really is is how can they deal with Burnley and their directness? Because <clears throat> what we've seen in recent weeks from Burnley has been, um, you know, a return to what they what they've done for a long period of time. Sort of got away from, which was creating chances via direct football, and that's you know going back to that has resulted in seven points from games against Leicester, Manchester United, and Arsenal. They themselves sit eleventh in our expected goals table, so they you know they've been comfortably better than um, half the teams in the Premier League. Their underlying numbers is really impressive as well: one point four two, one point five five in terms of expected goals. So um, they create chances and concede them at a similar rate. Uh, Southampton create plenty of good chances as well. 1.57 expected goals for. Um, they also have vulnerabilities. So we're, we're looking at the angle of goals again in this one, similar to the Wolves-Leicester game. Um, and there's plenty of value on offer as well. Both teams to score at 61%. The market's at 53%. And over two and a half, we've got 60% compared to 50% on the market. So um, I was surprised when I looked at this one that the goal line was so low. Um, we've obviously got the goal line pretty high compared to the market. And that's where we think the value is in this one. We've plenty of goals and you know you look at what what's happened recent Southampton games you've got obviously the uh, um, the 4-0 the 3-2 against Wolves 2-1 against Leicester so the, the games usually see goals and, and chances at both ends and Burnley's are the same so um, yeah I think that that for me is the best value play is to get on side with goals if you want in a, a bet in the 1x2 in this one like I said we've got Southampton um, odds against compared to the market at, at 56% so we, you know, advise a bet against Southampton taking Burnley or the draw because they are a really tough cookie to beat. They're really difficult to break down uh, and they're very capable of creating good chances. So, um, yeah, in terms of value, 1x2 wise, we've got Burnley or the draw as a, as a decent value bet. Yeah, I'm the same as you. Surprised to see the, the goal line at 2.5 at Pinnacle and even more surprising to see betters keen to take the under. The odds are, are quite skewed there, and normally you'd see a, a shift in the goal line when we, we get to that kind of point, but traders yet to move the line. Um, I'd be interested to know, obviously, James Ward-Prowse suffered a bit of an injury in the game against Tottenham um, a week or so ago. Is that, we spoke a lot before about how well-balanced Southampton are. Do you think that's going to be a concern for them, or is it something that they can patch up and squad depth wise squad depth wise they've got enough to to kind of cover for him do you think yeah i think they've got plenty to cover for him really um they've actually got quite a deep squad in that area um have southampton you know midfield wise they've got obviously you said ward prowse there hoiberg um Romeo, armstrong they've got numbers in there that can come in and, and, and fill that void i won't be too too discerned really interesting or the only angle potentially is that the set pieces if he doesn't play because he is uh, he is the set piece taker uh, that is obviously a really good angle for, for goals for Southampton in, in terms of scoring from set pieces. But um, in terms of the actual game itself, I'm not too worried about him missing. Um, but it could it could have a bearing on on yeah putting Burnley under pressure from set pieces. Right, so now we go on to Norwich versus Liverpool, top versus bottom, or bottom versus top. Um, it's looking increasingly likely that they're going to be the the final league positions for both of these two sides. I must have feel a bit. I must admit, I feel a little bit bad for Norwich. They they don't deserve to be that far adrift from safety. And really, a case could be made that they shouldn't be in the relegation zone at all. They they haven't been great, but there's certainly a few sides worse than them this season. And it seems that 
there's been quite a few games with teams against against teams that are kind of near them in the table that they should have won or, or come away with a point and they've ended up getting nothing. I mean, the case against Newcastle was a nil-nil, but they should have won the game. Same against Palace and, and Aston Villa. They're, they're the games you've got to win if you're going to stay in this league. And as for Liverpool, that just show no signs of slowing down, really. Another dominant performance. You just said it there. The the narrative around the Southampton game was the scoreline was unfair. Southampton did better than most teams have this season against Liverpool, but 3.9 XG for Liverpool, 0.81 for Southampton. I don't think you can really argue that that, that wasn't a fair result. Wouldn't be surprised to see a similar scoreline this weekend. Market's got Liverpool at 1.301, which is 74.5% chance of a win. Norwich are on the low end at 9.5% chance of getting three points, but I'm sure a few people out there might have expected to see them even lower than that. Is there any value in this one for you? From a 1x2 perspective, we actually think this is pretty much spot on uh, in terms of pricing. Like you said, it is, it's a team that's going to finish bottom against a team that's going to win the title. Um, Liverpool are rightly priced up as really, really strong favourites. 70% chance is what, we, what Infogol is giving them of getting the win. And yeah, like you said, I do feel a, bit, a little bit sorry for Norwich in terms of um, the, the season as a whole. <clears throat> Obviously, you, you called out the, the Newcastle game. That was probably the final nail in the coffin, really. Uh, a game in which they deserved to win. They created more than enough chances to score at least two goals. Um, and, and they ended up having to settle for a point, And that leaves them what, now seven points from safety. So, um, yeah, they're, it look, they're, looking, they're looking doomed. But like I said, on the balance, they're actually unfortunate to be in the relegation zone. I mean, their underlying process is, is really poor. It's one of the worst in the league. Uh, 1.24 expected goals for, 1.94 against. But like you said, against teams in and around them, they've actually performed really well and, and won the XG battle. So um, in terms of expected points, they are unfortunate to be uh, in the bottom three. But what we've seen from them all season is, is, is a real soft underbelly in defence. They've conceded a host of chances on a regular basis. And yeah, if Manchester United can put three expected goals past you, then you're in a little bit of trouble. Um, as for Liverpool, like you said, they just keep churning it out, win after win. Uh, another clean sheet as well. Back to the clean sheet, uh, back on the clean sheet trail rather. Um, what's that now? Seven or eight clean sheets in the last nine, nine in the last ten. Uh, losing count really because they, they're just making this this Premier League season just look really, really easy, which um, obviously we know it isn't. Uh, their underlying numbers are sensational. Uh, me and Mark Taylor teamed up um, last week and, and wrote a, an article about Liverpool and why they're overperforming their expected goals. And we actually looked and found that in terms of expect XG2, which is the um, it's the metric that measures the the shot on goal rather than just the the, the pre-shot of location and uh, and distance, etc. It actually measures the shot on goal from the goalkeeper's perspective. And uh, and we found that Liverpool were hugely overperforming in that mark, in that metric. They were 22 expected goals against, but from the XG2 perspective, that went down to 14. So, you know, what, what they're doing is really well is when they are conceding a shot or a chance on goal, they get, they're doing really well, they're getting blocks on the way, they're taking the sting off the ball, um, making the life really easy for the goalkeeper, narrowing angles. Um, and that's that's really how they're, they're beating this expected goal model um, is, is just by doing that. They're narrowing angles, they're really well organised. The defensive midfielders deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, and that means that it's really hard to, uh, you know, to back against them. Really hard to see them conceding too many more goals from now to the end of the season. 
Um, and, you know, in, even in, in raw expected goals, we've got the best defence in the league at 1.11 expected goals against per game. Um, the attack seems to be purring as well towards the back end of the season, 2.23 expected goals for. Um, everything's clicking. It's really hard to, to say anything anything other. Um, but from a value perspective, we're, you know, it's a really difficult one because I've just talked about the, the defence of Liverpool and how solid they are. But the value from an info perspective is, is at both teams to score. We're at 55%. The market's at 54 you know, Norwich have shown that they can score against uh, against the better teams. In fact, the results against the better teams have been fairly impressive. Obviously, the, the Manchester City and Spurs games at Carrot Road spring to mind in which they scored plenty of goals and created good chances. And I think they're suited to playing counter-attacking football. Um, week in, week out, Norwich play against the, the lesser teams and they dominate the game, they dominate the football. This is going to be a different game for them. And I think they quite enjoy springing on teams um, similar to the likes of Wolves. With the Campwell, Buendia, Puki, they've got some talented players going forward, um, and they, they have been quite clinical this season with, with when they have created a big chance. So, uh, taking a, a punt on both teams to score, although it does seem unlikely given Liverpool's fantastic defensive run, um, that's the major value play uh, and the only value play in this one. We think the overs is a little bit too short. Um, and obviously, the one x two Liverpool are just a tad too short to be back. Yeah, it certainly looks like slim pickings, doesn't it, in the market? One. One thing I'd be interested to know is we spoke, I think it was last week or the week before, and I said about, has anyone you know of expected Liverpool to be so good or Manchester City perhaps being a little bit unlucky is, is skewing things a bit. Um, and you mentioned about you'd be interested to know what the market might be for next season. Have you had any more thought to that? Are you, are you still thinking, leaning towards Manchester City as favourites or is Liverpool just getting better and better and they they could be the market leaders for next season's Premier League outrights? Um, I've not really thought about it much more, to be honest, but putting me on the spot, I actually think that it could end up being just a pick really. I think it could be one or the other. A lot depends on what happens in, in the summer, obviously. Um, if Pep Guardiola stays, um, the, the open checkbook that Manchester City have, they can improve their team. I would be surprised if Liverpool went off favourites to win the title next season. Um, let's put it that way, because underlying numbers-wise, Manchester City have been the best team in the league this year. Um, and if they add a few pieces to that, I'd be surprised if Liverpool went off favourites, yeah. And when you, you kind of use the, the terminology of breaking the model and potentially the way Liverpool's set up or the, the tactics they use, and I know I've given Andrew Beasley a couple of shout-outs on this podcast. He did a, another great article that looked into kind of game state and the fact that a lot of Manchester City's XG figures have, have been boosted when they're kind of dominating in games. They're more than two goals up. They'll then rack up the chances, whereas Liverpool's kind of the other, the flip side. They won't go behind when they get in front. They they keep it tight and they, they don't then go, go for the jugular, if you will. How long does it go for Liverpool to be set up a certain way for us to begin to think like potentially we need to analyse their performances through a different lens or do we just stick to the same the same info goal model that, that we're using that, that makes Manchester City look so good? Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting question. That um, Me and Mark Taylor have been discussing this um, recently and we actually wrote another article this week uh, about Manchester City and about um, what's happened there really. Um, and the XG2 that I referenced before, that is... Um, a more advanced measure uh, compared to expected goals. Uh, obviously, it takes into account variables after the shot, so deflections, um, like how accurate it was in the corner, spin, speed of the ball, um, but that takes into account on the on-target shot. So 
Um, you, you're right to call that out. We've got the um, in, in the latest article on infogold.net. We've got a, a couple of graphics that look at the the expected the share of the expected goals at different score differences uh, differentials for uh, Liverpool and Man City. And yeah, when Man, when Liverpool take the lead, they take the foot off the gas. When Manchester City take the lead, they take the th- take the foot off the gas and put it right on the throat of their opponent. So um, that can some sometimes um, slightly distort expected goals, but XG two is a much more um, what's the word now? It's a much more volatile metric than expected goals. XG two can vary from week to week really, really heavily. Whereas X, expected goals is a much more uh, rounded and, and, and more balanced stat than XG two in terms of uh, looking at a team for, over the course of the season. So um, for the time being, more than happy just to keep going with the expected goal model. Um, they're not actually breaking it that much uh, if you look at their underlying numbers. Um, and in terms of expected points, they're only 10 points um, more than what we would have expected based on, on their performances. So um, they're not overperforming by a huge margin. Um, they just in certain matches, they're getting the, the look of the draw at key times. Um, and, you know, that's why they're so far clear this year. Right, so now we'll move on to Aston Villa versus Tottenham. This could be a, a really big game for Aston Villa. A win for them could see them move four points clear of safety. They're up to 15th in the table. It is possible, probably not probable. Um, the odds only give them a 23% chance of the win. That isn't as low as many would have thought maybe for this kind of game at the start of the season, but that's more a reflection of, of how poor Tottenham have been rather than Aston Villa impressing Spurs, they are, they're clinging on to, to top four hopes. They still sit in sixth and just four points off Chelsea in fourth. Expected goals suggest they are a mid-table team at best. And while their fans not, might not like the sound of that, I don't think there's many that can claim that, that six is a fair reflection of their performances this season. If Tottenham get anything but a win here, I think you have to think that top four then becomes out of reach. Not necessarily based on just the points, but just the fact that their performances really need to start improving. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on their their chance of winning this one and maybe kind of progressing as the season gets to the the final third. Yeah, this is a big game at both ends of the table for sure. Um, we'll quickly touch on Aston Villa because they are, you know, that defeat at Bournemouth could prove crucial towards the uh, um, you know the, in the relegation battle, and they are a team that. Have really, really overperformed this season in terms of um, in terms of defensively. They've conceded just forty-seven times from chances equating to fifty-eight expected goals. They've got the worst defense in the league, uh, worst defensive process at two point three four expected goals against per game. Um, the, the thing that they have that other teams don't is that they're much more creative than the teams in and around them. They create more and better chances, which is why we give them a you know a, a, a I'm not say a better chance of staying up because we still think they will go down, but um, if that if, if there's anything that will keep them up, it will be the the attacking process um, and managing their ability to score goals um, in pretty much every game that they that they play in. Um, the other thing for Villa in their favour is that the home form is is actually not bad. The the process is is it's still it's still not not very good, but it does improve quite drastically at home in terms of um, underlying numbers. So they've got that going in the favour while facing a Tottenham team that are, like you said, they they really are a mid-table team at the very best and very disappointed with them against Manchester City. Obviously, the the, um, the 2-0 win, Spurs fans won't care about how it came about, just the fact that they managed to get the three points. But in any game in which you concede 
over three expected goals and create just 0.3 expected goals. Um, if you come away with that with, from, with a win, then you can count your lucky stars. We calculate that they had just a 1% chance of winning that game uh, based on expected goals, showing just how fortunate they were. Um, more performances like that will definitely see them slip away from the top four race. Uh, they've hit a little bit of a purple patch, you could, you could argue. Um, I mean, a win against Norwich is a given at this stage of the season, given what we've seen from Norwich. Um, and a 2-0 win over Man City, which I said is very fortunate. But going, going back even further, nine, last nine matches, Tottenham have won their XG battle just twice. Um, and both of those have come against Norwich. So it shows you just how dire things are really uh, at the minute for Tottenham. Um, they're really fortunate to be sat in sixth and, and being with a chance of even finishing the top four. We rank them 12th in our expected goal model. They've got a negative process still. 1.41 expected goals for, 1.59 against. Um, and like I said, they've, they've lost the XG battle in, in seven of the last nine matches. So they really are a team that are struggling against every sort of team you can find in the Premier League. You know, those that, that run includes the likes of Wolves and Chelsea, but it also includes... Um, Brighton and Watford so there's a lot there's a lot, <laughs> both of these teams there's a lot not to like about them um, which is why in terms of the 1x2 market we think that opposing Tottenham is, is, is the way to go um, as a bet in this one we're giving them a 47% chance of getting the win around 52% on the market uh, so yeah Villa or the draw it, it's not really a game that I'm too keen on, on flagging a bet up because there's, there's not too much I like about either team. Defensively, Villa are really, really poor. Spurs going forward have been really poor since Mourinho took over. Obviously, started off hot with those two, three, two wins. Uh, but since then, they've really quietened off. Uh, but the both teams' score market is a little bit too short from an infigal perspective, as is the over two and a half goals market. So, um, just the only bet I've got for this one is a very small stake value bet is just to oppose Tottenham and get on side with Aston Villa or the draw, just purely because we don't think Tottenham should be odds on. And we talked before about issues at Tottenham and what they need to, to turn things around, get more creative. Could someone like Jack Grealish be the answer for them, do you think, for next season, potentially if, if Villa go down and, and Tottenham need to get into the market? Potentially, yes. Um, I think the main thing that they need now, though, is a striker. Obviously, Harry Kane's out injured and they've not but they've not got a number two striker at all. Uh, Lorente was that guy last year, but he, he went off to Napoli. Um, and they're, they're having to play with false nines at the minute and play with Son, Lucas, Deli Alli, Bergwijn, or it's just a floating four. Someone go and stand up front and, and play that role. I think Grealish, if Villa do go down, he will get picked up because he's had a really impressive season. Um, not only with his, his assist and goal numbers, but with his, his ball progression and... Um, his dribbling ability and his passing ability. So I think if, if Villa were to go down, if I was Tottenham and you could get Grealish for 30, 40 million, I'd go and do it. If I was Manchester United, I'd go do it as well. Um, he will be a, a sought-after commodity, definitely, if Aston Villa go down. Right, so now we've got Arsenal versus Newcastle and we are impartial on this podcast, but perhaps we we might highlight the success of some more than others. We might focus on the struggles of of some sides more than others and... Arsenal is one of those teams that just each and every week we seem to be talking about how poor they are or how poor they've been. Maybe it's because our initial expectations were skewed. There's obviously a lot in the media about their their kind of downfall this season, but they're looking more and more like a mid-table team as the weeks go on. I think the, the draw against Burnley was another one where they could have lost. 
another game where they barely managed over one expected goal. They've only won two games of their last 17 and they've only got six wins all season. And to put that into into perspective, that's the same as West Ham, who we also bang on about being <laughs> very, very poor. <laughs> and also one more than Watford. And they're, they're two teams currently in the relegation zone. Um, as for Newcastle, they're... I mean, they're, they're one of the luckiest teams in the league, probably one of the luckiest teams we've we've seen in a while. But it's not a late winner after soaking up pressure for 90 minutes. It's it's two goals in added time to scrap a draw. They're, they're 12th in the table. They should be bottom. If there's any game where New, uh, where Arsenal can, can put in a good performance, give their fans something to cheer about, it's got to be a home game against one of the poorest teams in the league. I would say the question is whether they can do it or not, but the real question is, is there any value in betting on them to do it? Um, as, as it has been all season, there is no value in backing Arsenal. Um, as you said there, the, you know, similar to the Villa Spurs game, there's not much I like about either of these teams. Uh, Newcastle, obviously, like you said, the worst team in the league, unexpected goals. Um, but it's still really hard to make a case for Arsenal beating them. Arsenal's underlying performances are... You know, since Arteta's come in, they've been really poor, really. Um, they've only had one game in which they won the XG battle quite convincingly, which was against um, Man- Manchester United at the Emirates. Um, and, you know, either side of that, they've been well beaten by Chelsea. Uh, got fortunate to get away with a point at Sheffield United, fortunate to get away with a point at Chelsea in the reverse game, and then fortunate to get away with a point at Burnley. So the last three matches, they've actually been really poor according to expected goals. Um, you know they've they've conceded 1.54, 3.55, and 2.26 expected goals in that time, uh, and only conceded three goals. So they've been that you know they, they've defense has been has been very fortunate in those games. And and in in terms of attacking process, in the last last four matches they've created 1.51, 1.22, 0.56, 1.19. So they haven't got above 1.6 expected goals in the last four matches, um, which is a really it's, it's staggering to think, given the obviously they spent a huge amount of money on Nicolas Pepe, who just hasn't shown up this year. Um, you know, you've got players in there like Lacazette, Mesut Ozil, Aubameyang played against Burnley, so they've got no excuse really um, for how poor their performances have been. And you know, it's really difficult to make a case for Arsenal getting, you know, beating Newcastle, which is a really worrying phrase to say or sentence to say. Um, you know, their home form has been woeful this season they've won just one of the last five at home losing three um, and they've only won four out of 12 home matches this year which is yeah that, that's just not something you expect to see from Arsenal but you know in, in terms of expected goals they actually sit 16th in the home expected goal table which is you know it's staggering and their their expected goal numbers in that time are 1.49 1.71 so they're actually a worse team at the Emirates than they are away from home, which is, you know, that is not what we expect from Arsenal. Um, they're not a very good team, full stop, but their away record in the last few years has been atrocious. So to, to, to think that their underlying process at the Emirates is actually worse than their away record, um, you know, that sort of beggars belief. And it just shows you just how bad things are at the minute for, for Arsenal. Um, the only positive for them is that they are playing Newcastle, which... As we've said, the rock bottom of the expected goals table, overperforming quite drastically in, in defence, conceding only 36 times from chances equating to 50.8 expected goals. So, 
nearly a 15-goal overperformance. Um, they're creating less than one expected goal per game. They're allowing over two expected goal per game. But they're sat on the same points as Arsenal, which is, you know, that shows you just how fortunate Newcastle have been. Um, but they, they've got a way of, of doing things, which is sitting and be difficult to beat and then somehow find a chance from somewhere, a set piece um, or, you know, a, a fast break and, and hurt you that way. And it's been successful for them this season. And they had a little wobble with three defeats in a row. But since then, they've drawn with Wolves, beaten Chelsea, drawn with New uh, Everton and then drawn with Norwich. So on, on paper, their form is fantastic. Um, in terms of underlying numbers, they've lost the XG battle in every single one of those by at least one expected goal. So um, what they're doing at the minute is is defying logic. And I think at some point of the season, um, that will catch up with them. But you know, if they keep playing the way they are, being tough to beat, there's no reason to think that, they'll, that they can't go to the Emirates and, and get something from this game. And that's where we're looking in terms of value. Like I said, we're 60% chance of Arsenal getting the win, around 67% on the market. So 40% chance of Newcastle avoiding defeat, 35% um, or 33%, sorry, of, New, of Newcastle avoiding defeat according to the market. So there's value there inside with Newcastle. Um, we also think that both teams to score is a decent value bet. We calculate a 55% chance of that happening, 53% on the market. So maybe a KG 1 1. I mean, Arsenal are the draw specialists this season. Is it? How many draws have they had now? 13 draws in 25 games. Why not add another one against the worst team in the league? Great logic. <laughs> um, I, with Arsenal, you mentioned you mentioned Pepe there, and I think the it, it probably does no help from a, from a board that are reluctant to invest big money in players to, to see the performances they've seen from him. We, I asked you about Tottenham and Grealish or whether they need a striker. What, what do you think Arsenal, I mean, Besides a, a whole new starting eleven, what do what do Arsenal need to to improve or to get back to where they they want to be or where they feel they should be next season? Um, in my in my opinion, I think that there's probably only three players I'd keep: um, Leno, Aubameyang, and Lacazette, and the rest of them you can replace them all. I think I think both fullbacks are they're not very good defensively. They don't offer too much going forward. The centre halves. Uh, just a calamity waiting to happen. The midfielders are weak and, and really poor on progressing the football. Um, and, you know, the wide options, uh, the Pepe one was baffling for me. It, it, as soon as I saw him, I thought, what have they done here? Why have they spent this money on this kid? Because he, he's he's a he's a showboat, he's a showreel sort of winger. You can see him, like, he typing on YouTube, Nicholas Pepe skills, and there'll be some lovely stepovers and nutmegs and stuff like that. But he hasn't got any end product to him and, and he's not contributing enough for his price tag this season. Um, you know, it, it may take some time to settle in. That may be the case. I hope for his case, it is, it is, it is the case for him that he, he needs a year just to acclimatise and get used to the style of football. And he might be really good next year. Um, but from what I've seen, um, he's, he's not very money well spent, is not how I would define the, the Nicolas Pepe transfer. Yeah, I, I think you've got to build your team around um, around Bamiang and Lacazette and getting them both on the pitch because they've got a great relationship on it and off it. And, and you know, you can see that. that there's almost a, a Dwight York, Andy Cole sort of vibe about them and the way that they know where each other are. We've only seen that in, in flashes this season and last season because they didn't very rarely were put on the pitch at the same time by uh, by Unai Emery or Mikel Arteta. Um, yeah, other than that, it is literally rip it up and start again. Well, I mean, Aubameyang, there's 
he doesn't seem to be shy of talking about moves away from the club and you, you'd have to wonder if if he did go just how bad c- could things get for for Arsenal yeah that's true and you know if he does go he, he's what is he now 31 32 years old he's not going to fetch a huge price tag um in which case they're not going to have much money to to invest in a, in a replacement yeah it's just a bit of a mess at the minute at Arsenal and I think it's been poor recruitment from uh, for a long period of time um, you know, even stretching—you could argue ten a decade almost, where you got Arsene Wenger and the Arsenal board are bringing players in that people have never heard of, and um, no surprise that they've not been very good. So, yeah, it, there's a lot, there's a, a lot of problems there, and I think recruitment is is the main problem at Arsenal. The, the squad of players just aren't aren't good enough for um, for what Arsenal want to do, which is which is play Champions League football and compete. The squad of players that they've got are a mid-table team, and that's exactly where they are this season, showing you know that, that actually that is the case. Well, we'll we'll stop there before the jeering mob turns up with their their pitchforks and <laughs> baying for blood. <laughs> We've our, our final game of, of game week twenty six is Chelsea versus Manchester United, and this this should be a good one. We've just gone from a couple where you said weren't too too keen on either side or being able to pick something out, but it's a it's a game that could have a big impact on the race for top four. Manchester United, they have dropped down to eighth, but that six-point gap to Chelsea could quickly co- close, especially if they win this one. It's, it's straight away down to three. Chelsea have impressed this season. They they fully de- deserve to be in one of the, the Champions League spots. They have stumbled a, a little bit recently with only one win in five, but the performances haven't been that bad. I know you said about Leicester, they, they barely showed up, but defence was initially the problem for them. They've They've sorted out that. They've, they've always created plenty of chances, but it seems that recently the, the ability to finish them off is, is what's eluding them in recent weeks. Manchester United, meanwhile, they have, I don't know, stop-start. I don't know how to kind of describe it. I joke that I couldn't believe they were still in fifth or sixth a couple of weeks ago. They do this thing where they seem to, they look like they've turned a corner. They get a couple of decent results, but then they just, they seem intent on doing all their hard work. We were big on that defensive process early on in the season. It's still pretty good, but if they did a better job in front of goal, they'd they'd probably already be in the top four and not looking up and, and trying to break into it. The market is big on Chelsea for this one, though. They're, they're 1.877, which is over a 50% chance of victory. Manchester United are 4.46, or around 22% chance of the win, with the draw at 4.81, which is 26% chance. What does what does the info goal make of this one? Um, well, in terms of the the one x two and the pricing, we actually think that Chelsea are too short, um, <clears throat> which is a surprise given that obviously they've ranked so highly according to expected goals all season long. But so have Manchester United, and I think that that's where the info goal models is looking at this one from. And I think I think this is probably it's probably the biggest game of both these teams' season. Um, Obviously, like you've said, if Manchester United get the win, then they're only three points behind Chelsea. And all of a sudden, that starts to look realistic that United could finish in the top four. Um, if they lose it, then that's it, I think. I think that's their season over And then, in terms of top four anyway. And they'll be looking at trying to get in the top six. And as for Chelsea, if they win this game, then you know that, that puts them in a real comfortable position heading down the home stretch. So it, it's a huge game for both. Um yeah, Chelsea have been a really interesting uh, team all season long. Their performances have been excellent. They've they sit third in our expected goals table. Um, they've got the third best process in the league going to expected goals. Um, but the issue they've they've had is, is taking the chances and forty three goals from fifty two expected goals, which 
you know, it's quite a considerable underperformance. But then you look at just the home home matches and isolate the home form. Um, they sit tenth in the home table. They picked up just eighteen points from the twelve home games. Um, but according to expected goals, their underlying process at home is absolutely sensational. They sit third in the home table in the expected home table. So they've been really unfortunate. They've scored just sixteen times at home this season, which is incredibly low for the the amount of talent that they have, um, you know, at their disposal going forward. Um, but they've created thirty one expected goals, so they've they've scored fifteen fewer than would be expected at Stamford Bridge, um, which you know all equates to the fact that they. they create 2.62 expected goals uh, per game at home, which is the second most in the league behind only Manchester City. So, you know, the, the, you'll hear a lot moving into this game about Chelsea's poor home record, the fact that they can't seem to get over the line in matches. But the bottom line is that they're creating the chances to beat the teams. They're just not taking them. And the longer that persists, and the, the, the bigger it's going to hamper, or the more it's going to hamper their, their top four hopes. And um, I'm, I'm baffled that Olivier Giroud hasn't been given more of a run out this season. I think he's proved his worth last season in the Europa League run um, where he basically carried them to the to the final and then and then helped them win the final um, but he's been persistent he's stuck with Tammy Abraham and, and then bringing back Shwai off the bench I'll, yeah I'm, I'm surprised that Giroud hasn't been given more of a look in I think he would <coughs> definitely take a few more of those chances than than, uh, than what those the Abraham and Batshuayi have uh, but yeah the main issue for Chelsea is just taking the chances they've got no problems at all creating them um, and they won't have an issue at all against this Manchester United team um, in terms of creating them. United have been really poor defensively of late, and that's shown by the fact that their uh, yeah their, their actual performances as well as underlying numbers have been um, extremely poor. Obviously, they've, they've been they've been dealt a tough hand in terms of the um, injuries that they've had. Obviously, Paul Pogba's been out for pretty much all all the season. He's a huge miss. Uh, Rashford been out as well, which is a you know, he's basically he's he is Manchester United from an attacking perspective, and you know the likes of Martial, Dan James, Lingard, they've not really stepped up to the plate in his absence, and that's that's meant that they've they've not scored in in five, four of the last five Premier League matches, which is something very unusual for that club. Um, it, it's really hard to make a case for them getting something in this match, but you have to think back to the the record against the better teams, and yeah, they're actually unbeaten against teams. That are above them in the table, which is it's a pretty decent feat. Um, if sorry, if you exclude Liverpool because Liverpool obviously beat them last uh, last time out um, and got <coughs> got that win off them, um, but against Manchester City, Leicester, Chelsea, Sheffield United, Tottenham, Everton, Manchester United are unbeaten against all of those teams. So when it comes to playing the league's best, um, Solskjaer has a way of. Uh, of setting them up to make them hard to beat, and obviously they play on the counter attack quite often, which is um, which is, plays into the hands with the pace that they've got, and um, obviously adding the extra quality of Bruno Fernandes, who may, may be able to find a pass that other players in that United midfield perhaps couldn't um, could make makes them interesting and, and, and definitely dangerous in this game. Um, in terms of Man United's process on the road, it's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, it's the eighth best away process in the league according to expected goals. Um, averaging 1.64 expected goals for 1.36 against so you can see just from those numbers that chances at both ends is, is pretty much the norm for Manchester United um, and surprisingly they've actually got a negative goal difference away from home but their expected goal difference is, is plus 3.4 so um, they've actually underperformed um, and they've been unfortunate um, away from home based on uh, on chances created so you know they shouldn't be 
totally written off Manchester United, but the fact that they are so limited and, and they've got such a thin squad, especially in attacking areas, is a, is a huge hindrance for them um, heading into this game. I think what we've got is two teams that are capable of creating chances and two teams that, that are vulnerable. I think Chelsea and Mar are definitely the better of the two teams. Um, but in terms of a value play, the way I'm looking at this is, is goals. I think I think we're, we're going to see an entertaining clash. I think Chelsea will uh, open up and have a real go at Manchester United and try and create plenty of good chances. And that'll suit Manchester United and, and allow them to, um, you know, to hit them on the counter-attack. And I think if you remember back to the, uh, it's not really a comparison, but the League Cup game at Stamford Bridge where Manchester United went down there and, and it was a, a really entertaining game with plenty of goals. I think we'll see something similar here. So um, we're given a 59% chance of both teams to score, 57% on the market, 57% chance of over two and a half, 56 on the market. So the small amount of value in both in both of the uh, Back, back in both both teams score and over two and a half. Um, and like I said, in the 1x2, we, we, we think Chelsea are too short, which obviously means that the value play is to get on side with Manchester United or the draw. So 54% chance of, of that happening compared to 52% on the market. Can Manchester United avoid defeat against another team above them in the table? It's definitely possible, but I think the best way to go um, is, is, to, is to expect goals at Stamford Bridge. Well, that is... Our sixth of the, the six games for the second half of game week 26 done. Hopefully all of these go ahead and there's no issues with the weather, but action will soon be underway. Great to have you on, Jake. I'm sure our listeners will be thankful for the insight you've shared. So appreciate the time as always. Thanks, Ben. And if you want more information on InfoGoal, then visit infogold.net, follow at InfoGoal app on Twitter and download the app on iTunes and Android. All the latest odds for the upcoming matches are on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.